Ever wondered who and what is shaping Luxembourg? This is your Lux Unplugged podcast with your hosts, Adrian and Thierry. Hi, I'm Thierry. And I'm Adrian. In this episode, Adrian welcomes George Berscheid, CTO at Phenology. So far, we've covered a lot of ground as regards the importance of the financial service industry in Luxembourg. But for a financial hub to be credible and functional, compliance with a set of rules is essential. Indeed, financial firms have been highly scrutinized lately when it comes to doing business whilst ensuring the adequate protection of their customers' data and assets. And that's where Phenology comes in. A true regtech company or regulatory technology, George's firm plays an important role in fields pertaining to regulatory compliance, this married with genuine user experience. In this conversation, George walks us through the benefits of digital onboarding and the importance of having a robust process leading the end user to seamlessly apply for financial services in a few clicks. But now, without further ado, my conversation with Georges Berscheid, CTO at Phenology. Thank you very much for joining us here on Lux Unplugged. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. We have a very established tradition here at Lux Unplugged. We'd like to know who we're talking to. So, George, how would you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is George. I'm uh, the co-founder and CTO of Phenology, which is a startup company founded a couple of years ago in Luxembourg, and we're active in fintech slash rectech. So essentially, you're an entrepreneur, so you've been an entrepreneur for a while, uh, as far as I understand, but what actually motivated you to, to go down this path? Well, there wasn't a real motivation in, in the beginning. I was Mostly, I had no idea what, is, what I was getting into uh, when I started becoming an entrepreneur. So maybe let me rewind a little bit to explain where that came from. So um, before starting my own business in 2006, I was working for a large corporate in Silicon Valley. And there was a lot of politics involved and uh, it was kind of complicated with the whole hierarchy and everything. So I decided at some point that I wanted to move to something smaller or a leaner organization. So um, by the end of my of my visa back in the US, um, my friend from high school, Raul, called me and asked me uh, if him and a couple of guys who had an idea. Um, if I wanted to join them in, an, in a new venture that was called Impulse in, in 2006. So I knew Raul, who's still my business partner today, from a, a venture that we had back in the, in the 1990s, which was called Luxusbush. It was the first social network in Luxembourg that had, back in uh, 2000s, close to 100,000 uh, people that were visiting the site regularly. And that's where I know him from, where he was basically running the social network and I was in charge of, of the technical aspects of, this, of the social network. So he called me in 2005 and asked me if uh, I wanted to start a, a business in mobile telcoms with him. And that's basically how it got started. So I moved back to Luxembourg and uh, two days later, I was sitting in his office and get started. I can imagine back then, Luxembourg, that was um, pre-internet or pre-sort of the widening of the internet uh, network. So having 100,000 people visiting this website must have been a, t- a tremendous achievement. It was actually one of, one of the biggest sites back in the days in Luxembourg. So it was qu- quite a big success, actually. That, that is true. But then it's a social network and it was, you know, 
before Facebook and, and uh, other social networks that, that we know today. And uh, it was still back in the days a little bit hard to make money from it. So it was more like a hobby uh, that we that we had. And at some point, we had to move on to something a little more serious. And that's where, where Ampulse came in. All right. And then talking about what you're doing today at Phenology, I understand there's been there's been some history behind you choosing to be uh, to be actually in the in the reg tech, so regulation or regulatory technology and compliance is a very specific subject and topic in the in the finance industry. So, is there any reason why you chose this path to begin with? Yeah, exactly. So, like like I said, we started a, a company in 2006 in the telecoms, and uh, step by step, we closely and slowly started moving into uh, mobile payments. So our business at Impulse was mobile payments, actually. So that was the days before iPhones and Androids, where uh, mobile content was still downloaded from uh, mobile operators' content sites. So they were being paid for using uh, what they call premium SMS. So it's like SMS messages that cost you three, five, ten euros to download some content. We're talking about logos and ringtones and games for for phones in the, in the mid 2000s, and that progressively moved to um, real mobile payments. And in 2009, when PSD1 came along, PSD1 is a, a first payment services directive um, that was making it easier for startup companies to get into the payment business. And that's when we actually started decided to start a, a new venture called DigiCash, which today in Luxembourg is, uh, I would say, the de facto mobile payment standard. Um, it's being used by more than 150,000 users on a regular basis, and uh, most of the uh, the big retailers and uh, invoice issuers are part of this uh, of this network. And it's a mobile application that can be used by consumers to pay for goods and services. It's directly linked to the bank account. So what we had to do is uh, start talking to banks. Back in the days, that was 2000, between 2010 and 2012, uh, talked to banks to get connected directly to the core banking systems and uh, be able to execute payments and retrieve account information, mostly the account balance, and display this in a mobile application. So that was our first steps uh, in 2012 when this went into production uh, into the, uh, the financial services sector. We also obtained a, uh, a license with the national uh, financial services regulator, the CSSF, um, which was in a payment institution license that would enable us to uh, run payment networks in Europe. And uh, that's basically how we step-by-step step get into uh, compliance questions where we were ourselves a regulated company and had to comply with a lot of regulations that, that came upon us. And we saw that the situation was even worse for, uh, for banks that we worked with. They had a lot of regulations. There were new regulations coming on a regular basis, and um, banks spent a lot of time getting compliant and updating their technical systems mostly because today compliance is uh, linked to more complex processes and procedures that have to be automated at some point. And we recognize that there's a lot of potential to help those players in the financial sector, not only in the financial sector, but we're also talking about insurance companies um, to optimize those processes and, and uh, be more easily compliant using automation of uh, procedures, et cetera. And that's how we slowly got into uh, the, uh, the compliance business. 
So there was one big uh, step that happened in 2017 when uh, we decided to uh, sell DigiCash, the company, to a group of um, Dutch and Belgian banks that were running a payment scheme called Payconic in Belgium at the time, and they decided to acquire 100% uh, of the shares of, of DigiCash and turn DigiCash then into Payconic's European headquarters, still based in Luxembourg. Um, so we as the founders, we you know, were completely re relieved from, from the task of managing DigiCash. And that's where in 2017, we started Phenology and refocused a little bit away from uh, running a mobile payment scheme to uh, take a step into the rec tech business and help banks and other regulated entities to uh, tackle their compliance issues more from a technical side. We know that in recent years, the so as you were saying, it's uh, automating processes and so forth has come for banks. Well, actually, should I say financial services firms in general has come with a lot of requirements to comply with those rules, driven at the national level, at the, the European level. But at the same time, it's also important that firms preserve their profitability, as we all know. So my question to you, George, is... How do you think fintechs or regtechs, in that sense, what role do they play in this in this environment? Well, one has to know that a lot of those regulatory requirements they come from the European level, so they mostly stem from either regulations or directives that are being uh, voted by the uh, by the European Parliament and then pushed down to national. Uh, legislation in the case of directives, when the regulations they they come they become active right away and applicable to all the players uh, in the field, and all of those players they have to comply with the same rules, and uh, which often is the case that they will require the same tools, and in that case it makes sense to rely on third-party providers that can provide those tools to make them to make them compliant. So and that's also what, what we focus on. So we look at um, regulations and directives that come on the European level that will have an impact on the, oper the operational business of those financial institutions. Um, see how these challenges can be tackled from a technical point of view and then build processes and tools maybe complete products to help those institutions um, outsource part of their compliance to, uh, to RecTech or FinTech companies. And that, that's the role that, that we play today. So it makes a lot of sense to actually outsource, let's say, a boilerplate functionality to third-party providers that is not technically part of the core business of those institutions, it will not gain any competitive advantage by being compliant. So it's really something that they that they have to do. And uh, instead of thinking about all these things themselves and trying to find solutions in-house, it's easier to outsource this to third-party providers that are experts in the field, uh, know exactly what has to be done, and uh, focus themselves on their core business and uh, yeah, try and find solutions in their core business that, that distinguish them from their competitors and give them competitive advantage. One of the key topics that actually are of particular interest in, in this conversation, I find, um, is the KYC topics and know your client um, implications. So topics such as digital onboarding, so you know, going from this paper-based applications for any kind of services that you want to apply for, moving onwards to 
applying online and having clients having a, a seamless way of, of applying to any service that they want to apply to. I just want to understand, you know, why do we need it in, in this context, you know, especially in, again, like we said earlier, in the context of increasing regulations? And according to you, um, yeah, what's, uh, how would you describe it? And what's the, what's the picture about this? Well, onboarding has been a topic for us for quite a while. And uh, onboarding is becoming more and more complicated. I remember back in the 60s and the 70s, it was possible to open a bank account that just had a number. It did not have any name associated with it. It was completely anonymous. And uh, so the onboarding process and also the monitoring process was, was very much very simple for those banks because they didn't have any information that they needed to keep uh, up to date. Today, the regulations are quite different. So when in terms of anti-money laundering regulations and counter-terrorist financing. Um, there's a lot of rules that those uh, financial institutions need to follow. Um, their clients need to be strongly identified. Um, so they cannot just open a bank account for anyone they haven't screened properly, that they haven't collected necessary documentation. And um, historically, when I say historically, it's, it's still the case today. Uh, very many times when you open a bank account, you have to go to the bank's branch and sit down for certainly quite a long time with uh, your advisor in the bank, sign a lot of pages of paper uh, to open your bank account. And once you're signed, uh, your contract, it will still take whatever, a week or two before your bank account becomes uh, available to you. So that's something that we identified as, as a strong uh, topic that we can work on and make this uh, more efficient. Now, especially with the increasing regulation on these topics, you have to know that uh, all the banks need to gather quite a lot of information on their clients. So not only the names and the addresses and the birth dates, but you also need to collect uh, identification documents like ID cards or passports. They need to, um, to store those. They need to make sure that whenever the ID documents expire, that they get the most recent versions. So there's a management that has to be done, kind of a life cycle management of your client. Um, even if the client, some other, other information changes uh, of that client, he gets married or divorced. Uh, these are aspects that need to be taken into account. Uh, in the risk assessment of this client with the bank. So um, what we thought is, well, we'll help those institutions and build a platform for them to gather all this information, set up this risk assessment uh, built on a risk matrix, as we call it, that includes a number of parameters and uh, will help calculate a risk value for this particular client. So it depends on... Um, the nationality, their country of residence, whether or not they appear in a uh, public list of terrorists. So there's a public list that are being published by Interpol, by Europol, um, with wanted people. So if a person appears in that list, that's uh, quite a strong argument to not accept them as a customer. Um, there's specific processing required for people that are politically exposed, meaning if they have some kind of a political position that this needs to be taken into account uh, in the risk assessment and also um, whenever a transaction happens on the account of a politically exposed person, the bank needs to make sure that um, this transaction is particularly clean, that is um, the source of the money is well known, that it cannot be, the money cannot be used for taking any political influence, etc. So there's a lot of things that the banks uh, need to do today and we help them gather all this information. 
And out of interest, anyone applying with uh, their ID or passports, how do you ensure that this, this passport is not fake or this ID document is not fake, first of all? And two, yeah, how do you make sure that this is actually the right person applying in this context? There's a number of processes that can be used for this. So basically, we ask the user to upload a picture of his ID document, and then there's a let's say, artificial intelligence post-processing done on this document to identify uh, whether the quality of the picture is good enough to see if the, um, the hologram exists on the ID document. We also ask the user to take a selfie. We'll then compare the selfie with the image that's on the ID document um, to get an idea of whether the person is actually who they pretend to be. So there's, uh, it's not 100% reliable, but it's a good indicator on whether or not the person is who they, uh, who they pretend to be. And if there's a doubt, we can still redirect the user to a uh, remote session with a, a live agent. So it's a physical person that uh, initiates a video call with the person that wants to onboard and then ask this person specific questions. And there's a, a process in place that uh, prevents the user from showing a video. So we'll ask the user to repeat um, certain phrases to make sure that uh, it's not a pre-recorded video that's being shown to this uh, physical agent. And the agent will then ask the user again to show his ID document into the webcam, uh, make sure the hologram is visible, that uh, the person on the ID document is the same one that is sitting in front of the camera. So there's a lot of those processes that are in place to ensure that uh, the, uh, the onboarding goes well and that the risk of the fraud is being reduced. Do you think that this, you know, just having a more forward-looking um, view of um, innovation, call it, um, do you think that this, this amount of time could be completely reduced to a few seconds? That technology or, uh, yeah, just any digital means would have the possibility of, of really re cutting down, you know, it would not be a question of minutes, but to have a question of seconds to onboard any, any sort of client, regardless of the complexity of the field that we're operating in. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's a lot of initiatives on the market as well to optimize these processes in a way that the user will only have to onboard once, um, create his sort of digital identity that he then can use to uh, onboard with uh, different players in the market. So he would create a digital identity that he keeps to himself or that is stored with a central repository somewhere and that whenever he wants to open a new bank account or open whatever, get a new cell phone subscription, uh, that he can use this digital ID with all the attached documents that are always up to date and then use this to sign a new contract and, and get this whole know your customer procedure uh, done in one go. But there's uh, a lot of technical and mostly regulatory restrictions to this. Uh, there's political games also being played. So it's, uh, it's quite of a complicated uh, endeavor to, to get this done. But there's definitely there's uh, initiatives going, uh, going that direction. But that's exactly bringing me to a very interesting question because um, the, it's, it's always said that Luxembourg has had this, this tendency and this, this highly valued skill of reinventing itself throughout history. We've seen it with steel, we've seen it with, with uh, private banks or the, the, the banking secrecy, investment funds, and then who knows, maybe the, the space, who knows. But do you think that, for instance, the, the reg tech field of expertise could be something that the Grand Duchy could uh, carve itself out a niche from? Yeah, so I think reg techs are more like support services for other financial institutions. So they're 
suppliers for the entire financial sector. And since the financial sector in Luxembourg is really very strong and it's continuing to be strong, we've seen this while the, uh, the companies that the Grand Duchy has been able to attract um, during the whole Brexit process. Um, so the financial sector in Luxembourg continues to grow, which obviously creates um, a large space for RecTech and FinTech companies that are suppliers to, to this industry. And they also contribute to the quality of the industry and, and the optimized processes. And it's a whole ecosystem um, that those financial institutions built together with the RecTechs and, and FinTechs and make the Luxembourg Financial Center a, a better place. So obviously, I think there's a, there's a strong point of building RecTech in Luxembourg, and there's a, there's a good market as well. I, I re recently read that Luxembourg made it up to the uh, top 12 of worldwide financial centers. Um, so this proves, again, that, that the position is very strong and that uh, RecTech and FinTech definitely have their role to play in that by being suppliers and uh, optimizing the, the processes and, and getting the financial institutions to perform better compared to uh, other financial centers. And that brings me to a very um, interesting question, I would say, because uh, all of our previous guests have said that to attract top tech talent to Luxembourg has, has always been a challenging task. So my question to you as the chief technology officer of, at um, Phenology, how do you manage this, this topic for your firm? Yeah, um, I've heard all, all the other guests on uh, on this show talk about this as well. And for us, it's the same type of challenge. And for everybody, and tech talent is in high demand. And it's always a big challenge to, uh, to attract them to Luxembourg. And this has changed over time. If I look back 15 years ago, um, the situation was a little bit different. It was still possible to attract talent from, uh, let's say, Eastern European countries or even neighboring countries to Luxembourg because of uh, um, salaries that are comparatively high to, uh, to those countries, that the standard of living is uh, higher than pretty much anywhere else in Europe. So that's, that's very attractive for those people to, uh, to come to Luxembourg. But at some point, um, and digitization has played its part in there, as remote working has become more popular. Um, so the situation has shifted a little bit and many of those people the, you know, the talent and especially in the tech space they uh, have started deciding not to move away from their originating countries anymore because they can earn maybe half of what they would earn in luxembourg but they have a cost of living that's only five percent of what it would be in luxembourg so it doesn't really make sense for them to move away from uh, from their home country where they can live like the kings and uh, if they moved to Luxembourg, they would have a lot more restrictions uh, than they would have in their own country. So this has this has shifted quite a bit, and it's made it more complicated for us to recruit uh, tech talent, especially if you're looking at the um, the young people that just uh, graduated from university, junior develop developers or developers with a few years of experience. Those are very hard to come by. Um, where it's starting to get a little easier is uh, people that have, you know, recently started a family um, that want to move away from their country to Luxembourg that is known as being very family friendly. 
Um, so that's definitely, from a Luxembourg perspective, something that, that we can offer to those people that they might not have where, where they currently live. But the challenge remains the same. It's really hard to find, to find good people. And uh, so all, a lot of companies in Luxembourg are competing for the same talent. Uh, so we just have to stand out as an employer of being, let's say, more sexy than, uh, than other players that compete for these talent. I was exactly about to ask, being being more sexy. What what does it mean? What kind of perks do you offer to uh, to be the uh, the top top destination employer for for that for those people? It's always, let's say, a, a matter of state of mind. Um, what what do people want to achieve exactly? Uh, we're trying to att- attract people that uh, are highly creative, um, that want to move things, that want to change things, that have a lot of drive. Um, and they're definitely at the right place with us, even though we have been around for, uh, for 15 years. Uh, so we're quite a mature company, uh, but we still have this, uh, this startup, uh, this startup sense in, in the company. And, uh, this is how we work on an everyday basis. And we encourage everybody to be as creative and come up with ideas and speak up, um, yeah, bring ideas on how to improve processes and, and uh, how to develop new tools and applications that can fit the needs of our, of our clients. So that's something that I think we have that I'd say many of the larger companies in the financial sector don't have, where just a lot of politics involved, um, where people uh, fight for their position inside the company or the they're playing political games to uh, defend their position in the hierarchy, etc. So we, we're not having any of this bullshit in phonology. So the best idea is win. And uh, that, that's really how, how we work. And this, uh, it's completely no politics environment where people who want to change something really have the opportunity also to uh, uh, live up to their dream and uh, make recommendations, um, even start their own business lines within phonology, something that we've recently seen um, where some of our employees had new ideas and they wanted to push something forward. And we provide a perfect environment for this, even for people that do not have the courage to uh, create their own startup. They have an environment within phonology that is uh, flexible and dynamic, but has all the foundations already set up uh, to come up with new ideas and, and, and push new products to the market. Now, m- moving back to the Luxembourg topic, because as we know, um, this podcast is about the business leaders that promote or, or that are in Luxembourg and, and want to promote their own projects. So from your perspective, George, you can say at the personal level or professional level, what do you like the most about Luxembourg? <laughs> well, at the personal level, I'm... I'm probably not very being very uh, objective there it's, it's my home country I was born and raised here and so obviously I'm I'm familiar with how everything works uh, but for people who come here I think it's a it's a very international place it's a small place it's very family friendly um, it's it's not as big as you would know from uh, you know, large cities in Europe London Paris um, so it's a rather small place uh, we very international people from very many nationalities. Uh, it's, it has an international vibe uh, to nightlife, etc. So it's, it's a very interesting place for I think people that uh, that want to to move to Luxembourg. And um, yeah, from a business perspective, it has the advantage I would say that the market is fairly small, uh, but still big enough 
to uh, live in, but uh, small enough not to attract too much competition from outside of Luxembourg. So this makes it, it quite convenient to start up a business and uh, in an environment that might not be as competitive as it would probably be in, in the UK or in the US, for example, where uh, a lot of companies compete for the US market, which obviously is much bigger. So if you win, you have a bigger price, but uh, the risk is also much higher than in Luxembourg. Um, when the market is smaller, well, the financial services market is still fairly big compared to other countries. Uh, but in general, the market is smaller and you have less competition and, and the competition is less fierce in Luxembourg to start a business. So that's, I think, one of the larger, the bigger advantages. Well, then, I guess on these final words, um, George, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today on, on the Luxembourg podcast. I definitely look forward to having you back in the near future to, to have a follow-up episode and you know talk further about Phenology's um, evolution and, and other projects that, uh, that are certainly on the horizon. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Edward, for having me. Thanks for listening to the Luxembourg podcast. Please share this podcast with friends and family and leave us a review on iTunes. Also, please don't forget to visit our website, luxembourg.com. Until next time. Mm-hmm.